You're listening to the first episode of the Wuxia season that we're going to be doing on this podcast. So let's ask right away, what's Wuxia? And for that matter, what's Wu and what's Xia? Well, we've got a guest who's very well placed to answer these questions, and that's Gigi Chang, translator of, well, one of the several translators involved in bringing Jin Yong's Legend of the Condor Heroes into English. So that'll be a fant- well, I, I say that will be, I've already, I've already recorded it, I know it will be a fantastic chat, but before we get to it, let's go into the trutrific news. One of our listeners and former guest Lihaiwa told me when I said Church of Fake News, she thought I was saying the Church of Fake News. Well, no, Church of Fake, um, that's just an acronym for the show, Translated Chinese Fiction, Church of Fake. So yeah, without further ado, let's hear what the news is for this week. So the first news item is one I've actually already said. It's, it's about the show. We're starting a wuxia season. We're going to have a whole range of um, wuxia experts coming on and teaching me about the genre because this isn't going to be like the sci-fi season I did where um, I knew what I was talking about most of the time. This time I'm a relative newbie to the genre and I certainly haven't read a lot of the literature so it's going to be a little bit different in that sense uh, but we do have some fantastic guests and stories lined up so Lots of things to be excited about. All things going according to plan. We're going to have quite a few episodes this season, so it will stretch on. So great news if you're interested in Wuxia. If it puts you to sleep, then I can only strongly suggest that you stay with us, because I think it's going to be more amazing than you would expect. Right, that's the first news item. The second one is also wuxia related, although why exactly that will be will become apparent in a minute. So today is uh, Saturday the... this is embarrassing... the 30th of May, just have to check there on my phone. And tomorrow, on Sunday, Paper Republic will be posting their Sunday sentence. I think their Chinese name is uh, One Week, One Sentence, literal translation. Uh, I'm not going to embarrass myself and try and read the Chinese right now. But um, basically, what they do uh, for the duration of lockdown, I believe, in this uh, coronavirus um, era of doing everything online, um, they're doing little online translation workshops where basically every Sunday they're going to be posting a sentence in Chinese and it's everyone gets a shot. Anyone who wishes to join in can leave a comment beneath the post uh, with their translation. So tomorrow, they're going to do one taken from uh, Legend of the Condor Heroes, selected by one of its translators, uh, Anna Homewood. So check that out, uh, it'll be up tomorrow, and if you want to have a shot at translating the sentence, it's going to be more than a sentence this time I believe, but if you want to have a shot at translating it, go for it. I'm considering having a shot even though I'm not, <laughs> my level of Chinese is not even close. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll decide on that once I've seen it. I might decide against it, but yeah, a chance for you to flex your literary and linguistic muscles right there for anyone who's up for the challenge. Okay, now another piece of news about this show itself, quite meta today on the news. Um, since the last episode uh, on the Book of Shanghai, I have moved the podcast feed, the, this podcast's feed, from SoundCloud to Podbean. 
Now that's um, good for me and the show for for various reasons. Um, for you guys, the listeners, um, one thing you can do is if you're well, most of your feeds will have transferred automatically. No need to worry. If you were listening on SoundCloud, um, don't worry too much because I, my SoundCloud subscription that lets me have lots of episodes up there will last until March next year. So you can keep listening on SoundCloud as much as you like until about March next year, and then you will be forced to find a different platform to listen on. But um, if if you're if anyone is finding they have problems listening to the show, let me know. I think everything should be fine. The only platform I'm aware of that hasn't caught the new feed yet is Google Podcasts. Um, they kind of I just I never attended to that one at first because I assumed they would catch the new feed right away, but they haven't. Everything else should be fine. Um, so technical things aside, check out the Podbean feed because it lets me format the um, every post. I can format the text really nicely, and I'm able to include the podcast art that I make for each episode in the episode description so have a scroll through and have a have a look at all those beautiful images i made for each episode um, i'm sure that'll be fun um i've also i've moved the well i've added a page for the trichific map to uh, the podbean page so you can browse through all the settings of the stories that we've looked at on the trichific map and the author's hometowns and whatnot and i'll be adding lots of locations for this episode because Legend of the Condor Heroes does jump around a lot of locations that exist in real China, part of China's real geography. So yeah, um, is there anything else I can say about Podbean? Not really, but do check check out the, the page if you haven't already. It, it looks quite nice. Okay, and last little uh, actual piece of news. It's another Paper Republic thing. Um, it's something they posted a little while ago now, but I think it's definitely worth um, plugging because it's a very unique, collaborative, again, coronavirus era piece of translation. So they translated a story called uh, 40 Days Growing Closer to My Parents During Quarantine by Dung and Ching. But what's, well, of course it's a, it's, a, it's a good read, but aside from that, from a translation point of view, it's really interesting because what they did in partnership with the Lead Center for New Chinese Writing they let they did like a what do they call it? a give it a go, uh, give it a shot, give translation a shot initiative. I'm not, I've forgotten what the exact wording is, but basically, 124 people had a shot at translating the story or parts of it. And what Paper Republic have done is that they gave feedback, uh, online sessions giving feedback to the translations, and they used everybody's input. I'm not sure how exactly it was done. I'm imagining just pragmatically and they've put together a translation so it's the product of not one cook not two cooks not three cooks but 124 translators plus one author so i guess 125 people plus the people giving feedback put together this piece so um that will be linked to in the show notes um but if you just search for 40 days paper read paper republic or go on the paper republic site you'll find it it's a cool little thing so that's all the news Let's get on and hear my chat with Gigi Chang. I'm sure you will enjoy it. Hi, Gigi. How's it going? Hi, I'm good. I mean, translator's life is not the most exciting in terms of sort of everyday um, adventures. So quarantine, lockdown or not, it's all the same. Right. And you're over in Shenzhen just now. Is lockdown pretty much over there or is it still kind of eking on? 
it's pretty much over. I mean, all the shops are have reopened. The only, I think, the only places that aren't reopened are cinemas and theaters. Right. But but restaurants, bars, hairdressers, they've been open for two two months. No, almost three. Like they've been open since at least March. Mm, since March, a lifetime ago. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had some news from my my mum today because. I have a, she's looking after my wee sister who's going into her second year at high school and apparently they're looking at starting the school year with only the kids are going to be, what's it, going in like staggered. So each day, each week, sorry, uh, uh, each student will only be in two days a week. Nice. Well, nice for students. <laughs> Over here, I think nearly all primary and secondary school kids are back at school now but not kindergarten or university right and they've been staggering in the sense that i think late april they let a couple classes in and then now i think it's the full school is back so each week you get a new year but I'm I'm very jealous of students you know suddenly you have a 6 month holiday mm. and then you go back to school for a couple of weeks and then it's the summer. You know, summer holidays still exist for students. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a little bit like the summer in Shahjah's stories, like an endless summer. Yeah. In, in Dundee, where I'm from, uh, the council, I, I don't know if other parts of Scotland do this. I don't think they, maybe they do, I don't know. But there's a thing where every fourth year they extend the uh, summer holiday from six weeks to seven and this year was supposed to be a seven week summer holiday but they've they've Uh, said no let's just skip it it's not it's a waste (laughs) extending it by one week you can get an extra week of work (laughs) off school exactly um so it's gonna be interesting listening back to the these well the last this episode and the last few because it's kind of tracking the progress of um the lockdown both where i am and wherever my guest happens to be but uh, I'm sure, yeah. I, I don't want the listeners to get too bored of um, lockdown discussion, so I'll just move on to the next yeah. question. Yeah, uh, sure. Gigi, can you tell the listeners a wee bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and so on? Um, so I translate um, from Chinese to English, um, mostly Chinese fiction, um, as well as I also do some theatre, um, both classical theatre, so xichu, as well as um, contemporary theatre. Cool. Um, the theatre works is mostly with um, actual theatre companies. So I did a, a, a couple of a, a Yuan Dynasty drama and a Ming Dynasty drama for the Royal Shakespeare Company for their um, classic Chinese um, theater translation projects. Fantastic. Um, those texts are to be to be adapted by playwrights for the stage and then also did a couple of translation for the Royal Court Theatre for their China project a couple of years ago uh-huh. but theatre translation are far and few in between so what I mostly work on now is um, the translation of Jin Yong's Legends of the Condor Heroes mm-hmm. the whole the series yeah and that's what we're here to talk about today yeah so before we talk about the actual story of Legend of the Condor Heroes yeah. I think we should maybe like lay some foundations for this whole series and and it seems maybe like a weighty task for you, but are, are you up? Are you up for it? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I'll try. I'll try my best. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's what I do every episode. Um, so here's a big question that you get first dibs on: What is wuxia? 
Um, I would say they are adventure stories full of characters with amazing kung fu and very big hearts. And because their martial skills are sometimes so fantastically good, um, in Western genres, they some some of them become fantasy. Mm. Um, obviously, there are also some of them with more fantastical elements beyond martial arts, like including um, Taoist cultivation and and more some uh, more traditional mythical Chinese elements. But the foundation of Wuxia are always adventure stories. Yeah, with kung fu. I um. <laughs> I as kind of as preparation or for getting in the headspace for this uh, season of or series of episodes, I watched. Um, I did like a together with my dad and uh, my stepmom. Mm-hmm. Me and my girlfriend did like a Zoom watch together of uh, the film from Taiwan, The Assassin. And at the end, my dad said, like he asked me, "So what genre are these films?" I just call them Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon films. And I said, well, (laughs) it's wuxia. Um, And then I thought, wait, that's a Chinese word. What English word shall I use? So I said, first, I just automatically went to Kung Fu. It's it's a Kung Fu genre, but it's not just like, I mean, putting it in the same category as like a Jackie Chan and Kung Fu film is kind of missing the point, right? I guess wuxia tends to be period dramas. I don't think Jackie Chan did a lot of period drama or like Bruce Lee. but I guess I would call them as a more heightened version mm. of Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee, but they are all linked. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, try. it's quite hard to explain what wuxia is very easily in English in terms of like translating the terms, because the character will actually um, mean a great, it embraces quite a wide meaning from anything martial, military, heroic, um, basically anything to do with force, um, Mm. with the fist rather than the brush. And that character exists as a flip side of the Chinese character Wen. Mm. I mean, don't... I mean, yes, it does exist on its own, but actually, if you talk about it in Chinese, you know, in your head, in the back of your head, Wen is always its foil. So, right. but one is even harder to explain because it encompasses anything from culture to literature to learning and basically using the brain and, and, and the brush rather than the fists. <laughs> so the two, for me, is always a link together, which makes explaining one or the other quite difficult. Mm. And I guess relatively in English language or generally sort of broader quote my western culture you don't have that kind of opposites or foils as much yeah you know you have yeah the head and the heart but it's kind of like that relationship but more extreme and then the word xia is also quite interpretive depending on who you are and how you like to see it um sort of the typical more dictionary definition would be people would stand up when they and take action when they see wrongs and injustices and to rectify them and whether this action is within the law is another question but they 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 react sort of instinctively to wrongs and they just can't stand stand by and let it happen and so it could be people who help the disadvantage or people who punish those who use their power or strength to bully 
others that are lesser than them. So a bit, and it could also be referring to instead of people to these events, to people to the things that the, these this type of people do. So I guess the easiest way to explain it is that in Chinese, most superheroes are called something xia, like Batman, Spider Man. Right, xia ren, right. Yeah, so like、um, you know, 蝙蝠侠 or 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 蜘蛛侠 so you know, not 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 Superman. Superman is just Superman. <laughs> right, 超超人 or something. 超人，超人 ，Yeah, because he already 超 he doesn't need any more superlatives. <laughs> <laughs>、um, I was just frantically trying to Google something I should have、um, noted down before the show, but when I was doing my homework、um, uh, about <laughs> 蝙蝠侠。I I learned something I I didn't see coming. So, as you explained for me and the listeners, Wu and Xia, those two characters are not just words but concepts that go really quite far back into Chinese culture and history. But、yeah. the combination of them, according to my homework,、um, comes it's an import from Japanese. What I was trying to look up is how to say that word. Is is that correct, or have I been misled by the internet? Don't actually know. Actually, I will ask the internet too. Yeah, I saw. I think the words the individually they definitely xia、mm. because xia actually already includes some forms of physical action. Yeah, you know if you if you if you see injustice, you take action.、Mm-hmm. Often, that might be a physical thing rather than a you know an argument. <laughs> um, but whether this. Phrases come from. Yeah, it it was one. I think I got that one from Wikipedia, so a little a little bit questionable. <laughs> yeah. But yeah,、um, let yeah, let's march、yeah. on before we get in big trouble.、Um, yeah.、Uh, yeah. So let's let's talk about Jin Yong now. Can you tell listeners a little bit about Jin Yong and what makes his contribution to the wuxia genre particularly special? Um, Jin Yong is best known as a novelist. To particularly Chinese readers,、um, but he he had actually worked all his life as a newspaperman, so he is quite unlike most writers we know. He is、um, a very very successful businessman.、Um, he founded a big newspaper empire in Hong Kong. He's practically done everything you can do as a human being, and and he was very good at all of it. So he was. Born in nineteen twenty four, and he passed away a couple of years ago in two thousand eighteen. He came from a scholarly, influential family in Hainan, Zhejiang,、mm. not far from Hangzhou.、Um, the family home he was born in was a sprawling courtyard complex with ninety rooms. So you can imagine the privileged position that he he was born into, and. Also,、um, in China, particularly back in the days, if you're from that kind of family, your early education would be very,、um, very classical, rounded, classical, and round. Like you'll be well educated、mm. by probably a few years old.、Um, so、um, his youth and teenage years was obviously in the thirties and early forties. So that was wartime in China. Right. Um, so he moved around a little bit to go to school, but mostly in Zhejiang region. And he wanted to become a diplomat, so he actually got into a university in Cheng 
uh, Chongqing, which at that point was China's capital. Right. Um, studied for a while, and then he left and went to Shanghai to study law at the uh, Suzhou University. Um, and the first job he had was actually a translator. He was employed by um, Da Gong Bao in Shanghai to translate Newswire into Chinese. Mm. And that was 1946, so just after the war is finished. And then he was sent to Hong Kong in 1948 um, to work for the newspaper. And that was how he went to Hong Kong. Right. Um, It's quite good timing in a way. Yeah, by by the 50s, you know, he's changed jobs and he became um, an editor, editing the sort of supplemental, or full candles, so supplemental, this is the non-news pages, Mm. supplemental cultural pages. Around that time, he was also writing and directing films. So, and very soon, um, also in the 50s, in 1955, he started writing his first um, serialized novel in the news, um, martial arts novel in the newspaper, um, which is on top of his duty as editor and uh, contributor, a journalist writing reviews or commentaries, political show, show commentaries, news writing for the newspaper. Mm. So he's extremely prolific and, you know, by now, he's already been a journalist, a translator, a film director, a script writer, and uh, a fiction writer. Um, and by 1959, he founded his own newspaper, Mingbao, um, which is still one of the most respected broadsheets in Hong Kong. Oh, right. And to, to attract readers, because he's, you know, this is four years on from his first serialized novel um, in the newspaper, he knew that by writing these wuxia um, stories, he can attract readers and get people to buy this new newspaper that no one has heard of. Um, So that was really how things snowballed. You know, beginning, it's a a practical beginning um, to attract readers. (laughs) Yeah. um, And um, Jin Yong himself... uh, was a big wuxia fan. Um, he was an avid reader, so he was familiar with foreign literature and with films and other media, which for me is how was really how he contributed to the um, to the genre of wuxia, which in the past was more probably rooted in um, the sort of episodic format of Chinese novels right. fiction. Yeah. So like Zhang Hui Xiaoshuo, so like Sui Hu or mm. many others, where um, each chapter probably is quite um, individual. So almost like a uh, someone TV came show, in, right? did something, and there's yeah. So and sort of a bit sitcom like yeah yeah. <laughs> um, so they probably each characters in each um, chapter probably run on a fairly similar arc. So after a while, it could be a bit repetitive. Uh, um, if you haven't read any, if you know our listeners haven't read any you know, traditional Chinese fiction or, or the, the older type, Zhang Hui Xiaoshuo, I guess uh, maybe a reasonable comparison would be to video games. Mm. So, you know, you shoot, get treasure, repeat, you get through a level, fight a boss, get through a level, fight a boss. It's a little bit like that. Um, whereas I think Jin Yong, with his 
because he's familiar with Western literature, with film at that time, you know, this is 1950s, there's lots of great films and that you can access in Hong Kong. Um, he His stories really um, has a lot more world building. He has grander, overarching, interwoven narratives. Mm-hmm. So this is one of his um, innovation for, for the genre. And his characters are... I mean, he doesn't just write for exciting fights. He's actually more interested in stories. Mm-hmm. And the stories of these characters or their growth are often through the fight. You know, rather than like an Italian opera, you know, you tell your story and then everyone, everything stops and they sing an aria for 10 minutes <laughs> about with the same line. I mean, you know, his stories... That the fights push the story on and tell you more about the characters and their personality and what they're trying to get to, where they're trying to get to. Yeah. Um, so these stories tend to be set in turbulent time in histories. Um, the characters um, are facing the troubles of the time and as well as their own personal problems. Um, and often these two came to heads together and they have to make bigger decisions about how they could contribute to society. Um, but then the uh, I think a lot of his figure, uh, uh, protagonists are individuals or independent um, figures of society. They, they're not, they, don't, they aren't usually part of the government yeah. or any official... Um, associations or if they were they were they only have very very minor roles in it yeah um, so they're essentially lay persons doing things in the world and trying to change their world for the better and I guess another thing that is very typically Jin Yong and get written about by academics as well is how he used a lot of filmic technique in writing right um, so which I th- in translation it probably is even more prominent and I've seen, you know, on Goodreads and people were like, why why does the point of view, the points of view flips all the time? Like one line is the character A and the next line is character B. Right. Because that is how he written it. So he, 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 he wrote his prose like it's the camera lens. So one moment you are looking at and the next you're looking at Lotus Huang, you get a lot of reaction shots, you get a lot of fast cuts. It's very, very visual. They, you know, he used montages and flashbacks, and filmic dialogues and camera angles. You know, sometimes you get, you know, an aerial shot, and the next is a close-up with a slow motion. You know, fast. Mm-hmm. All these flipping around and 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 changing camera angles, just like a film. And I guess that might be something to do with the fact that he actually worked as a film director and screenwriter at one point. Right. Sort of another thing is, this is probably more to do with his sort of interest in literature as a whole, Western literature as well. Um, his characters, he, he, he does spend some time working on their psychologies. They're, they're quite complex. They're not just heroes or villains. And they everyone got their own... Um, short for if you're a good guy but the bad guys also have some redeeming features yeah they 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 are not that simplistic um in in that token sense mm-hmm. yeah and and i guess the one thing that is 
very, very special about Jin Yong is that martial art fictions are generally considered lowbrow pulp fiction. You know, right. they rot your brain and stuff like that. Popular, popular stuff that a lot of parents don't actually want their kids to be reading. But um, they couldn't. It's very difficult to stop your children from reading Jin Yong, and and he managed to also cross over from the sort of po- very, very popular quote mark low end or common readers all the way to the very high end literary professors you know government officials and pretty much everyone at some point would have been obsessed with his work right and to you know to have a, to have a book where an 11 year old could enjoy it as much as an 85 year old that is quite special yeah definitely there're not a lot of books that could claim that yeah mm so there's a very long answer. Uh-huh, that's fine. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to remember all the responses I had because um, everything you were saying was matching my experience of reading Hero Born, but also the the homework I did. Um, first thing I'll get out of the way is I did find that thing about the Japanese word. It was indeed on Wikipedia. It, it's cited, but it is oh, okay. it is Wikipedia, so I don't 100% trust it. Okay. Um, so I'll just read the paragraph yeah. really quickly. The term wuxia as a genre label itself first appeared at the end of the Qing dynasty, a calc of the Japanese and then I don't I don't speak Japanese, so sorry if this is wrong. Um, Japanese bukyo, a genre of oft militaristic and bushido-influenced adventure fiction. The term was brought to China by writers mm-hmm. and students who hoped that China would modernize its military and place emphasis on martial values. And it quickly became entrenched as the term used to refer to Xia Yi and other predecessors of Wuxia proper. Um, in Japan, however, the term bukyo faded, faded into obscurity. So um, that's that. Um, if anyone who's listening think i don't know has reasons to disbelieve this please do uh, please do contact the show now i'm going to try and remember everything yeah. i wanted to reply to you um uh, what you were saying about movies that matches my experience mm. reading a hero born especially the fight scenes where i felt like he wasn't trying to have any like literary ambiguity he was trying to describe every single thing that happened so you could follow it precisely oh yeah quite um, yeah. never quite excruciatingly yeah. but it's in, on like the scale of completely ghostly and ambiguous to excruciatingly describing every detail he's definitely on the excruciating side of the scale yeah I think what probably very different from, you know, English language fiction is that, you know, usually you read a book, you get one big fight scene. Right. If lucky. And that's it. Uh Whereas in this book, every chapter has a big fight scene. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) and, And there's a lot of details, you know, left hand, right hand, left foot, right foot, Mm. and then you know, everyone else's left hand and right hand, you just got to a point where, okay, (laughs) whose hand is this anymore? Um, But I think the thing is that um, the details in Chinese probably don't um, seem as detailed, I mean, very badly put. um, I think I know what you mean. because, Because in the martial arts is a big part of Chinese culture. Mm. Be it in theatre, so you have in traditional Chinese theatre, you have everyone can fight. I mean, there are people who are more specialised in fighting roles, but even your 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 hua dan, your maiden, your young maid dan roles, those women or men 
who specialize in those will have some form of kung fu, you know, they to to be able to do what they do on stage. Mm. Um, so, so as such, um, the whole vocabulary that um, Jin Yong used, he didn't invent it. It exists for hundreds, possibly thousand of years in Chinese writing. Right. So, um, whereas in English, where it's fairly limited, you don't have. You don't have books after books describing, you know, sword techniques or, or boxing like techniques. Fights, but yeah. whereas in China, they they exist. Mm. This sort of so, so I think that is one major difference in how how the text might read. Right. Because in English, everything seems to be wow. You're describing all these things that. Most writers don't usually describe in that detail, <laughs> whereas in Chinese, um, it well, it's just fairly standard. And um, and whether it's in the past, you you grew up watching traditional Chinese drama, theater, Chinese operas with the fighting scenes, or uh, like um, us younger people who grew up with um, TV and films, which still have a great martial element in them. Uh, you know, from Bruce Lee to 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 Jet Li to Jackie Chan, or so all that 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 amount of fighting doesn't feel foreign or strange, mm. and you take great joy in it. That that's the thing that you want to read. You don't really care about the pros in between. You just want to go from fight scenes to the next one. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um. I have yeah. remembered another thing I was wanting to mention. So what you said about the heroes being generally not big players in society so in my homework it was telling me that the um the kind of xia like the wandering knights or the warriors Mm. this is kind of it's Mm. their traditional role is not to get involved and they're in this i don't know what you'd call it but they're part of this kind of collective loose collective called the jianghu so the the rivers and lakes and it's kind of the whole point of the Mm. jianghu is that they're not the i guess it would be the the Shanhu, the rivers and lakes are in contrast to the mountains and lakes, I think it is. Have I got I, that right? I think, um, I guess Chinese society in the part is extremely stratified. So you have the official capacity, you know, the government officials and military. Mm. So you're either that or you are, then you are not, or you are not part of the official right. official dom. So you, and then they what? Well, didn't they have like segregated into different, um, not class, not 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 caste, but different like roles. Um, roles, yeah. You know, you got the, you got your farmers, you got your merchants, you got your actors. There are all these kind of. Um, Groups or, or 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 types that you are supposed to, you belong to. Mm. So, if you, I personally see that anything that is not part of the official officialdom is part of Jianghu. They don't necessarily have to be gangsters, right? Yeah, but I, I but but that boundary and meaning is very what what Jianghu even mean is very very fluid, right? It it it's um there there are various various meanings and 
but it just generally means you're not making money out of the empire emperor ah, right so it's all about your the cash all because about the money it's in some it, ways it's, it's, it's where how do you make your living mm, mm. Who, who, which part of society do you belong right uh, i guess there's well yeah to put it simply yes there's the official part of the society which is run directly by or directly well which belong um you you run under the hierarchy of the emperor or the court, and then there's the side that runs parallel to it and support the court. <laughs> so it's the other side. Something that matched up a little bit, you were mentioning earlier about um, Shuehu, Shuehu Zhuan, uh, Water Margin. Yeah. I, I learned a bit yeah. about that one because I did an episode on Brian Holton's Scots translation of it, mm. uh, The Moss Flow. Mm. And so I thought, mm-hmm. all right, I'll, I'll read the, the part of his translation that's up there online. And I guess I should have a look at the English translation too. I'll just read the whole thing. And then, oh my God, I saw the list of chapters and I realized it was oh, yeah. enormous. So I, I think I maybe just read... Just read a few chapters. Yeah, that's what I did. Um, <laughs> but I read some like little articles on it and it it was talking about how one of the, I don't know, a thing that is going on in that story is like a band of not necessarily wandering knights, but like outlaws, like you said, almost like gangsters. They don't just yeah. set up camp. They set up their own little kind of like alternate society, their own little, society, com- yeah. maybe commune is the wrong word, but yeah, they have like a parallel society. Sort of a bit the... communes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, I, think, I think it's, they don't necessarily have to be outlaws, but it, I, I, consider, I would probably look at it as anything that's outside that sort of, you know, imperial exam route. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because that is one very close and well-defined world. Anything else beyond it, there is some level of fluidity and crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is the last thing I wanted to mention. This kind of links into the like the tension or binary or whatever you want to call it between individuality and like the bigger society so uh, a lot of the homework i did um that wasn't just reading web articles was a a book i managed to get through the magic of academic access Uh, it's called uh, paper swordsman the fiction or some such of jin yong by a guy called john christopher ham it's a very interesting name and in that he was he stressed in a few of the chapters that Jin Yong set quite a lot of his stories during like a fall or near the end of a dynasty so Legend of mm, the Condor Heroes yeah. were, were set during the Southern Song and it doesn't ever we never see the collapse of the Southern Song but generally speaking we see it under attack and losing ground from mm. the Jin Jurchen and then later the Mongols from the north and then other of his stories are set during mm. the end of the Ming and maybe other. the end of the Qing too yeah. so there's some extent that yeah. the characters are not involved in defending the nation and or the empire and other times they are and I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if I really have a question here but I thought it was a interesting for me that would be something very interesting about these stories yeah, I, I mean, I can't help but wonder how much of that has to do with his own upbringing, his mm. childhood, because he also grew up at that kind of turbulent times. Um, right. But then when you think about all these Chinese fiction, they all seem to be set in 
some form, the older historical fiction, they're all set in some form of a turbulent time, be it the death of an emperor or some kind of power change. You know, Sanguo is three kingdoms fighting each other. <laughs> mm. And and Hu, Outlaw of the Marsh, is when there were a lot of um, rebellions. Mm-hmm. And I guess... Uh, and and everything I can th- sort of think of is, I guess, the bigger... The, yeah, the bigger... The, the earthquake of the greater society caused more earthquakes mm. within the individual's lives. And that was what maybe caused them to do to to act. Yeah. And I I don't wanna get into too spicy or hot water here, but um so like you were saying, Jin Yong, he he grew up in like wartime China, so civil war, uh Japanese invasion, more civil war, and then I guess he was out of mainland yeah. China by the time um the you know the revolution happened and uh, the the communist party yeah. took control of the country but he was writing these yeah. stories about dynastic china from kind of mm-hmm. out, out in a way outside of china in colonial hong kong so mm-hmm. and and i read i've read that um he was quite right widely read outside of china uh, outside of mainland china in hong kong and among the diaspora and there was a really really significant mm-hmm. moment when he met one of his biggest fans uh deng xiaoping the i guess the president of china mm-hmm. of the most known for like china's reopening up to the world mm-hmm. but i don't want to like i don't want to over rely on that analogy because all analogies are a bit ropey and i feel like especially when politics are involved but is is that something you associate much with jin yong or do you think it's not something that should be overemphasized no, not really i mean i think it's for for, for us readers chinese kids growing up with jin yong stories that doesn't even factor that's just right. that's more like a media talking point mm-hmm. Than his actual alert, like he, um, he, we like him for his stories. It doesn't matter actually who he is, what he thinks about anything. Right. <laughs> we care about Guo Jing and the characters, um, the the sheer joy of reading, the sheer joy of these stories. Um, the, it's it's got this magical ability of making a ten year old, eleven year old read a million words in one sitting. Mm-hmm. So, what famous person or politician read his work or not? You know, a ten year old honestly couldn't care less. Right. <laughs> You've actually reminded me of the other. The last thing I wanted to mention that your longer answer made me think of when you're talking about everyone, everyone um, in the Chinese speaking world reading um, Jin Yong. So it was, I forget who whose anecdote this was, but it was contained or quoted in that book, Paper Swordsman. So there was some uh, academic literati guy who was, he'd been, he'd been scolding his child because his child was reading Jin Yong's books and this guy thought... Uh-huh. It's, it's it's trash. My kid shouldn't be reading it, especially because some other uh-huh. literati figure was coming to, going to come over to their family house for dinner. But a, a yeah. guy, this the guest is hold, held in really high regard. But then when their guest shows up, he's got something like three books under his arm. He's got one of the Chinese classics, some modern European classic, and then phew, 
Legend of the Condor Heroes. <laughs> and then the kid's no longer in trouble because he had, the one who's able to talk most enthusiastically and at most depth with their guest is the kid, the Jin Yong reader. What's the kid, yeah. Well, I think there are... you. If you've grown up in in among Chinese kids in China or in the last sort of 30 years or 40 years or Hong Kong or Taiwan or any other Chinese-speaking um, places, you would probably know someone who got scolded or, or, you know, a slap around the wrist for reading Jinyong, mm. uh, like your schoolmates, because parents think, oh, this is, you know, not particularly edifying. But you will also have friends, probably yourself including, that have read his books through the night, you know, under the duvet mm-hmm. with a torch. Um, and you hear this this sort of addictive reading behaviour from girls, from boys. You know, me, I am in the mid-30s, but I've also heard um, academics now in the 60s, 70s, 80s talking about the first time they read Jin Yong. <laughs> and a lot of the time, you know, these are Chinese literature professors who are very, very well respected. And a lot of them, sort of at first when they heard about, oh, what, what is this Jin Yong Wuxia from Hong Kong? And and they were pirated, pirated copies that people either smuggle in or copied out or whatever, you know, books mm. mix their way <laughs> um, through society um, by themselves. Right. And, and a lot of people would sort of go into it probably with a little bit snooty about them. And then the moment you start reading and you'll be like, what is this, you know, crack cocaine? You just couldn't stop. <laughs> and there are all these stories of um, people in the, in, I think, in the, in the early 80s, academics, or, or, or um, say, oh, yeah, I, I just sat outside this library on a, on a little stool and read Inhale the whole Condor Heroes in one sitting um, and became addicted and became um, a scholar of Jin Yong's stories. So, and they regard it as highly as, you know, other classical works. Um, so I think there is definitely something special about these books. Yeah. And, and to anyone who's read them, that's the magic. Uh, and obviously that, for and as a reader today, we I can't we can't divorce it from the many TV and film adaptations since the book existed. Because mm-hmm. um, Condor was written in the mid nineteen I think nineteen fifty seven, if my memory serves me right. And immediately yeah. there is a film version, and then by the nineteen eighties, nineteen eighty three. Um, TVB in Hong Kong made a version of Condor Heroes as a TV series for I can't remember how many episodes, but you know, forty, fifty plus episodes, and that was so popular that you know all over Southeast Asia, Japan, Korea, and mainland China and Taiwan, and that really spread um, Jin Yong all over Asia, and now and no one can read these books. In Chinese, without knowing some form of a TV version, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's really bind up with 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 the po- uh, a visual visual cultural memory, 
as well as those the the, the TV theme songs as well because, because that, those those from the eighties are still being sung today. That's that's funny. Um, I was mentioning earlier about um, yeah. water margin and another little fun thing I did kind of for research for that episode was I watched one of the shows uh, yeah the first couple episodes of an adaptation of it so not strictly wuxia but the um there's like f- uh the main hook in the chorus is burned into my brain it's one of the few lines from a chinese <laughs> song i know yeah um yeah, i won't I mean, sing that's, it that's, down that's the line the <laughs> yeah the, the 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 danger of chinese television shows their theme songs earworms that stay with you for years and decades mm-hmm. i mean I, I i guess i'd had that experience as a kid watching some of the um anime that was coming over to um british tv channels um yeah which were also catchy but in a completely different way um mm. there's another thing i was gonna say what was it um uh, oh yes so when you were you were saying one of the special things about the Jin Yong's books is that people are able to devour them and this is like a thing I think is just in literature in general people don't talk about much is like the devourability or the read not just readability but the speed and that kind of like the natural speed you can get through some books maybe that's yeah people usually I guess people use the terms dense and light but mm-hmm. I think that's a little bit different from how quickly you can read it. Something can be moderately dense or dense, but might have a really high readability. Yeah. And I think there's like a sweet spot of yeah. something which is properly good literature, but is also extremely readable. And I guess maybe that's mm. in that little overlap in the Venn diagram. It seems like that's where Jin Yong sits for a lot of people. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, mm. definitely. So um, I think that's all is- my... Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Ah, okay, cool. Well, we should. We've been on question two of the Jin Yong and yeah. Wuxia section for so long now. So let's go into the last one. We've probably, probably answered a lot of this already. But just in case we've missed anything, yeah. um, what does Wuxia or what do Wuxia and Jin Yong mean to you on like a more personal or subjective level? If there's anything we've not covered already, um, I think Jin Yong for me personally is how I learned Mandarin. Oh, wow. And it's because... um, So I grew up in Hong Kong in the 80s and 90s, and it was a purely Cantonese society. Right. Um, We only speak Cantonese. No one speaks any Mandarin. But at that time, um, there was a 1994 or 5 adaptation of um, Dragon's... Um, so uh, so it's what is it called in English Heaven Heaven's Sword and Dragon Saber yes Heaven's Sword and Dragon Saber okay um, and um, that it was a co-production I think Hong Kong and Taiwan um, at that point the televisions are stereo so you can choose to listen to the original Mandarin um, voices or the dubbed Cantonese voices. Oh, cool. And so we, as a family, we watch it in Mandarin, but obviously, like all Chinese show, it's subtitled. Right. So by, you know, 40, 50 episodes later, you understand it. <laughs> Fine, yeah. <laughs> and I guess another thing is is, is the, the joy of reading that he, he introduced but that that you you get from reading his books, um, I think that's something that lasts a lifetime for many people. And and he's because you know I was ten, twelve when 
when a lot of these TV shows were on. So it's also sort of bound up with some of the happiest memory grow- growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So through the TV sh- TV shows and through through the um, TV theme songs as well. So because all of those were written by um, at that point, um, you know, written and sung by Hong Kong pop stars and lyricists, and it really was like golden age of of Hong Kong popular culture. So I think that's it, it's also mixed together with my own childhood. Right. Um. What you were saying earlier about how the literary wuxia is kind of inextricably linked in people's minds with the visual versions, mostly film and TV. So I'm sure I'm not saying anything particularly insightful yeah. when I say, like, in, in the English-speaking world, that's kind of how wuxia is known. It's as a film genre. And it's, I think, really just through, like, a handful of um, yeah. films that were made in China. But I think tar- Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. Which was, I guess, a specifically targeting international audiences. Yes, like that one is. <laughs> yeah, that one, House of Flying Daggers, yeah. Hero, and Curse of the Golden yeah. Lotus, and maybe some others. But it, uh, I've not seen Curse of the Golden but, Lotus, but those other three I watched as a kid lots and lots of times. And even without yeah. anyone telling me this is a genre called wuxia, I could kind of tell that they were all... Uh, Connected. Yeah, they, were, they had like tropes. Aesthetically, and Visuals and aesthetics, yeah. character types... Yeah plots da, 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 da. and it worked straight away it's i guess the magic of genres yeah. they're kind of like this is a very stupid analogy and it might not make sense to a lot of people but um i i work in um one of the things i work in is uh, book design and if you want to send a mm-hmm. file you made in indesign which is like the adobe design software mm-hmm. you um you don't just send the file you have to do a thing called package which basically puts all the files you've been mm. working in together into one folder and you send that one packaged folder. And the advantage of that is the person who receives your package then can operate the full design with all the working parts and they're all integrated within themselves. And I feel like that's a magic of genres is they're kind of like self-contained things that anyone can jump into yeah. and hopefully without too much prior context enjoy. So yeah, yeah, there's a bit of a fraught or, or a tenuous analogy, but that's how I feel about when I was a kid and my dad put yeah. me and my brother down in front of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and just magically, it was not really very alien, despite being completely new to us. Yeah. Well, because who doesn't want to, you know, jump around and wave a sword exactly. <laughs> another person? Especially we boys, yeah. Yeah, or everyone. Yeah. I shouldn't say just we boys, but yeah. Um, I I definitely want to. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I still get excited watching like fight scenes these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been especially when you know the actor is actually a martial artist because you can really tell. Mm-hmm. Totally. When they thrust, like Michelle Yeoh is. Yeah, she's cool. extremely cool. <laughs> um, that film I mentioned, watching the assassin. That's the first Wuxia. Proper, yeah, it's basically the first Wuxia film I've watched in years, and it's made me realise, what have I been doing? Uh-huh. I need to be watching more. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you can get into a lot of Chinese um, TV shows. <laughs> mm, I, that, I, that's Very n- long, though. I know, that's a thing I've... Ne- despite having lived in China all that time, I never worked through a Chinese TV show. Um, maybe partly because I was aware it could be very long and <laughs> I wouldn't have known where to yeah. start. But yeah, one day I will, for sure. Uh, I guess we should fly on to our questions about um, the book. The, book. <laughs> the actual book, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's So there's a question I didn't write down, but 
I realise I should probably ask this. Uh, so a thing I noticed in my homework is there's a little bit of a difference in the title of the English translation that um, you were one of the translators who worked on and the original Chinese, at least based on what I was seeing in Paper Swordsman, because um, John Christopher Ham or Christopher John Ham or whatever he was called, was referring to the book as the Condor Shooting Heroes. Is that the literal translation of the Chinese title? Um, so we have went for um, Legends of the Condor Hero, which is a slight version of the 1983 TVB version ah. of Shodao Yingxiong And that is the better known title right. of the book or or this story in 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 the greater non-chinese speaking world right so um it's basically the best known title yeah so uh, anna actually wrote a note explaining why we went for um this instead of anything else because i think there is a recognition and there's a familiarity with the existing audiences of either the tv show or yeah of the tv show mainly yeah right because a lot of a lot of chinese diaspora watch that version i mean i've got multiple friends who still speak cantonese to this day because of this tv show okay i can hear there's a very small tiger in your background do you need to deal yeah, with it? Yeah, I've got or... a cat. No, it's, it's okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So you, you mentioned Anna. That's Anna Homewood. So mm. I guess we should tell anyone listening who's not familiar that yes. you and a few other translators all worked on this one together. Yes. So Le- Legends of the Condor Hero is one novel mm. um, of 40 chapters, uh, almost a million characters long. So, uh, commonly in Chinese, it's split into four volumes of ten, but published at the same time, so you buy a whole set. Right. Um, and with Legends of the Condor Hero being translated in English, to translate a million words will take absolutely years. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, our publisher, Magley Hope Press, um, decided that they want to do it um, one volume per year. Mm-hmm. So the books are split roughly, um, roughly about ten chapters per volume, and um, Anna was Anna Homewood, um, the translator of the first book, A Hero Born, is really instrumental to th- these books being available in English. So um, she was very involved in the process um, of the English rights um, being acquired and she also translated the first book and um, as she started translating the book she realised it is impossible it is very difficult for one person to do the whole million one million words um, within that time frame so um, she brought me in to do the second book um, A Bond and Done so Basically, she's like chapter 1 to 9, I'm 9 to 18 or 19. Right. Um, and then um, we worked together on book 3, um, A Snake Lies Waiting. And then I am working with uh, a third translator, uh, Shelley Bryant, on the last volume, A Heart Divided. 
Mm, I realize now that we've kind of skipped the story questions and gone on to the technical ones. So I think, yeah, let's finish <laughs> yeah. off the technical questions. We can questions. go back to the story now. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I know. I, I think we can polish off these technical ones, do the story, and then see where we go. Um, yeah. So sure. we've got the you and the translators working together. Um, I want to ask you a question about naming, because you, you gave us the names of the parts of mm. the uh, English translations. A hero born... A bond undone, uh, snake lies waiting, and what was the last one? Uh, a heart divided. A heart divided. So essentially, extremely awesome names, fantastic titles. Are they the creations of you guys, the translators, or have you translated those from uh, Chinese sources? Uh, those titles are uh, we we we've given to the translation. Right. Um, because we can't just call them one, two, three, four. No. Yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it has to have a title, and something that hopefully um, give you a sense of what that volume might be about. Mm. And they they have the, like the right kind of epic feel and tone as well. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. They try to create a a, a series title. Mm. Yeah, I really. <laughs> so they feel connected. Yeah. I really really like them. Um, so another thing about naming. Um, there's the naming of the characters in the novel is or the novels I, I should say for for um uh what's the word for the record I've read a hero born I haven't read the others in the series yet uh, just for the record but uh, the, the naming of the characters is it would be a tricky thing I guess any way you wanted to go about it but um how did yourself yes. and the other translators go about it and was it I guess there must have been quite a bit of coordination involved. Yeah, so um, Anna started book one um, before I started book two. So, uh, but we we both agree, and together with Shelley, that um, as as I mentioned before, the whole point of a Jin Yong novel is to is that is that joy of reading, that sheer joy that comes from the page, come between the lines. So, in the translation, that's something we have to capture. And also we have to capture that relentless propulsion that keeps you reading, keeps you turning the page. Yeah. So that is possibly one of the main um, like, main um, like guideline yeah. behind every deci- decisions made in the translation process. And that is beyond prose. That includes names of characters and moves. Mm. Um, with character names, um, I guess majority of translated fiction these days, uh, especially contemporary one, would just ping in everyone. Mm. Um, but the thing is about Chinese names is that they are not sounds. Written Chinese names are meanings. And if right. you read in Chinese, it's always the meaning that jump first at you. Mm. It's not the sound. Um, also, because everyone speaks a different dialect, so the sounds are always different. <laughs> of course, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, but the you you sometimes some names might not even come to you. It's quite different from say English names. So you know when you you see a name like Mary, you don't always immediately only think of the Virgin Mary. No, of course not. <laughs> You, yes, but whereas certain Chinese names, the only thing it could be is what the character me- names means. Right. And with um, 
wuxia with a lot of Jinyong names. The characters are named for a reason. A little bit like Harry Potter, you know, Sirius Black. He is the dog. Yeah. He's the black dog. Or Remus Lupin, the werewolf. He's called basically Wolf Wolf. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you know that, then you just can't stop seeing it. Whereas in Chinese, it's much more immediate. You don't need to know Latin. You don't need to know about the story of the founding of Rome to realize that Remus Lupin is. It refers to wolf, to wolves twice. Mm. Um, so. Because that immediacy of meaning, so some names we have gone for meanings because it's intention of the writer or it's very important to the characterization of the character. Yeah. Um, some other characters, um, like historical characters, we tend to retain their name in pinyin. And then... Um, so those are the two main reasons. And then there's a third thing, which is the problem of pinyin. When you've reduced wildly different Chinese names into pinyin, from characters into pinyin, things that you could never mix up written in Chinese character might become very, very similar spelt out. Yeah, like the two Shanxi so, provinces. Yeah, so they're the same. But in Chinese, it's like you have to be mad to get them <laughs> all, but I, I, you just can't mix them up in written for character form right, yeah i mean I, I, um so for uh, um an example would be there are three characters in the book one called kurjan the other two are ouyang feng and ouyang ke so right. the problem with these characters they tend to appear all at the same time and Ouyang Ke, his name, is the combination of the other two characters. So it, when you have all three of them on the same scene, you you kind of like, oh God, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. And and also because you you will get them mixed up, but the 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 bigger problem is that you will also trip yourself over in the prose, because in very often in in Chinese we're very used to referring to characters by their full names. But in mm-hmm. English language fiction, actually, you don't see full names that often. No, it's like if your mum's telling you off, my mum would say, Angus Henderson Stewart. But if you put it on the page, it looks crazy. It would seem, it would mean something else. Yes. It would It would bring in a different connotation. Um, so with those three characters, because they also appear on the same page all the time, um, We've given the two Ouyangs, um, uh, quote mark, a, a name name rather than use pinyin, mm. because I have to keep the we we have to keep the prose flowing as well, yeah. because when you have five characters fighting each other, everyone is in their full name, then 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 the writing will get really sluggish and lumpy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fly. <laughs> So, I, I so, wonder, so there's some practical reasons. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, so I, I wonder, because there's all these kind of like, um, I don't know if you can call them hidden traps, but there's all these things that could trip up a translator or pose like just very, very fiddly technical questions. Is that a reason why it's only in this, well, at the end of this decade that um, Legend of the Condor Heroes is coming into English? Is it because it's a, a lot more... Or a lot less straightforward than translating, say, like a Moyan story or something. So personally, personally, I think 
that it has a lot to do with reading habits. Because mm. um, I and also interest in China. So right, I I was in the UK in the early two thousands, and at that point, no one's interested in Chinese stories. The only Chinese things that anyone interested about coming from China would be contemporary art, visual arts. Right. And that's early two thousand, and then if you move, so in the past fifteen years or so, you can see interest or deepening, be it. Past, partly to do with um, the economic integration or globalization, and as China become wealthier, you know, people have to, you know, know, know learn more about it. Yeah. And also because there's more um, connections, easier connections through the internet, through cheaper flights,、mm. through opportunities, you know, work opportunities. You know, after two thousand eight in Europe, in America, you know. You finish university. There's not a great deal you can do.、Mm. Um, whereas China's on the rise, or Asia in general, you know, there are more work opportunities, and that definitely there's some cross pollination in that sense. That's a greater social, economical, political landscape. But I think the other thing that is really important for me is that、um, how fantasy and very long books. Became mainstream in English language readership. So, from say something like Harry Potter or Game of Thrones, or even with the films of Lord of the Rings, you, they, that and all of that came in sort of late nineties, early two thousand.、Um, where so fiction went from two hundred pages to a thousand pages,、right. and people read it. Yeah, I remember as a kid、um, thinking think that, a bigger Harry Potter book is good because it's more Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, and also I don't know. I remember sort of even in the early two thousand, you know, fantasy and science fiction are other are other sections in the back for nerds,、mm. and now that stuff is you know right up front on the ground floor.、Um, so I think that also help with people acceptance or or or, or create a bigger market or interest. In these very long books, <laughs> I could totally see that. Yeah,、um, right. So let's let's rewind and、uh, get to、yeah. the questions about the story because nothing's more important than the、yeah. story. Ultimately,、um, it's all very well and good to be technical and philosophical and intellectual, but nobody cares if you don't have the story in the first place.、Um, yeah. So, in a、exactly. nutshell,、uh, what is the story of the Legend of the Condor Heroes about? It's A coming-of-age story of our hero Guojing, coming to terms with his talent, abilities, as well as his vocation and identity,、um, as a martial artist, as well as a son of the dwindling Song Empire when he's facing two foreign invaders.、Mm. So. Do you want more about Guojing? Yeah, I have a follow-up question. So a thing I learned doing、yeah. my homework reading John Christopher Ham or whatever he's called,、uh. Uh, book Paper Sorrowsman, is that there's a little bit of a pattern in the start of a lot of Jin Yong's wuxia stories. So we start off with some kind of a traumatic event. We often start off from the perspective of some 
characters who are quickly killed off by that traumatic event outside the story yeah. yeah and then we have a younger character connected with this tragedy in some way who has to go off go on a journey of self cultivation or self discovery or and so on and then finally they bring justice or get vengeance or what have you get, so yeah is that a, just quite did, a, a cl- yeah yeah that's that's a classic growth story mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so yes, Guajing was born also in he was born in Mongolia after his father's been killed. Um, there's a lot of spoilers uh, to come. And he grew up in Mongolia. Uh, he grew up in Mongolia um, and in, in the household of Genghis Khan. And then he um, but in the background, there was um, a wager set between uh, a Taoist monk and the Seven Freaks of the South. So, and the Seven Freaks of the South are tasked to train Guojing to face um, the Taoist Chuo Chuo Chuji's um, disciple when they both come to the age of eighteen. Mm. Um, so the story really starts when Gu- so the first book is mostly about Guojing growing up up to the point of eighteen when he was about to face this duel and then the rest of the books is about at once you know when he turned 18 um he returned to um the home his homeland um to the song empire where 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 his father lived and and then he went on an um, on adventures to discover himself to finally understand who he is and where his um allegiance lies mm because the bigger bigger background is that um, the Jurchen, the Jin Empire, has invaded half of the Song Empire, and the Mongols, the Mongolian led by Genghis Khan, are eyeing both the Jurchen and the Song Empire and want to take them both. Yeah, it's kind of, it almost felt like tears to me. Like, we have the kind of least military... Um, softest target down in the south the southern song mm. above them to the north we have the jinn come bearing down on them and then sitting above the jinn even further north there's the invincible mongols led by genghis khan mongols yeah yeah um yeah. so i think a co- there's a couple of things that come up on uh my podcast a lot just based on the things i kind of mm. obsess over and um one of them is uh, like just maps and geography. I have a little custom Google mm. map where I put um, the settings of stories for each episode. I mark them and then also the author's mm-hmm. like place of residence or hometown. So for this episode, I think I'll be marking uh, lots of locations for sure because the, the story travels yes. all over China and uh, I guess so China, yeah. even the, the wider and region yeah, um, yeah, into the Mongolian steppes. But um, why? So two two things. Um, one was, I think, and a thing I learned reading again a, a difference in the naming between you guys kind of highly readable translation and maybe uh, the paper swordsman more literal translations. So in mm, in the books, yeah. in the English translations, the seven freaks of the south are just that. That's what they're called. The seven freaks of the south. That's yeah. the name of their band of uh, martial artists. Mm. In Paper Swordsman, he's named them, uh, I think, the Seven Eccentrics of Jiangnan. And number one, it's mm. just quite a funny, wonky title. But um, the other thing is Jiangnan. That's like a running theme of this show. Um, 
So during my time in China, I lived in、um, Zhejiang Province and then Shanghai, and I explored a lot of Zhejiang and Jiangsu. So whenever I hear Jiangnan or I see Jiangnan come up, I just have to mention it.、Um, but I guess it is important to the book because a lot of what happens is set around Lin'an, so like historical Hangzhou. Yeah, Hangzhou. Yeah. Yeah. But most people don't know what Jiangnan is. Right. Unless you're Chinese, yes.、Yeah, so you can't put it in the English. Well, unless you're mainland Chinese, actually, I would say. Right.、Um, or you have connection to that region. Right.、Mm. Like, if you don't have a reasonable geographical knowledge, you might not have any idea what Jiangnan is. So, like most of the Hong Kong, even like the Hong Kong readership, a lot of them wouldn't、mm. get necessarily where that's pointing to or what it means. Um, I think older generations will know. Younger. Harder to say. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, if I if I、yeah. had lived in or the years I'd been in China, if I had been anywhere else, yeah, I might never have learned. What you probably、Jiangnan、wouldn't.、Was. Probably because not. Because it's not the province name. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 a shorthand that has been used for generations or hundreds of years for that greater area, which encompasses at least. Two provinces. <laughs> yeah, at least two. I think I had a a Chinese language teacher who told me it can be anywhere south of the Yangtze. So she was saying like even、yep. the southern border could technically be. Yeah, Huaihe doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. It's a very vague concept of a general area,、mm-hmm. which I would say today we call Zhejiang and Jiangsu, but <laughs> but then <there's, laughs> but it's debatable. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of northern Jiangsu that's too north to be. Yeah, that's probably not Jiangnan though.、No. <laughs> Anywhere with canals and white houses and grey roofs and <laughs> yeah, I would still call it.、Um, the other thing I was going to say, I'm a bit of a nerd for. I play a lot of the、um, mm. Total War games, and I would be playing the Three Kingdoms one、mm. if I had a more expensive computer. But I'm not that rich, so、oh, I'm, right, I'm、yeah. not playing it yet. But、uh, through them and through learning a little bit about history, I did learn about、uh, how the Mongols. Uh, the Mongolians fought their battles and just how unbeatable they were,、oh. and so when we got to a bit in the story where I think it's、um, Genghis Khan or his generals lead the, his tribe of Mongols to beat another one of the nomadic tribes, and I, I wondered,、mm-hmm. okay, is this going to be? Are we going to see a battle that's kind of Jin Yong's own invention, or is it going to echo what I've read? Learning about these guys, and it it kind of read exactly like like they they didn't use brute force, they used trickery, they kept their distance,、mm. and then once they once they、um, were in a position to win, then they used the kind of brute force, which was exactly they, then they start I, hacking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's what I'd learned from history, and it was yeah, I, I enjoyed that alongside the、um, the kind of one on one fights. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't really have much to say. There are more battles to, to come. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I'll keep reading. Yeah.、Um, so that's kind of what the story is about.、Um, now I'm going to be a little bit awful here and use some commercial language.、Um, what would you say is the biggest、mm. selling point of、uh, Condor Heroes? It's the sheer joy of a great story,、mm. and one that's been loved by literally millions or billions of people、right. that haven't been accessible to non-Asian language speakers. Okay, that's not a very elegantly put word, but but we know what you mean. Condors hasn't, yeah, hasn't really been translated into many European languages before this.、Mm. But now, 
it is being translated into German, Italian, Finnish, Romanian, wow, Finnish. Polish. Finnish is, I think, book three is coming out very soon. Um, oh, cool. And Portuguese, Spanish. Yeah, well, basically all the major, most of the major, a good handful of major European languages. So, so I think it, it, it's it, it's a great story. It's a great fun story that you can just get excited about. Yeah, when you said Finnish, did you know that there is a joint Finnish Chinese wuxia film? What 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 is it called? I don't actually. It's called Jade Warrior, and it's from 2006, and it combines, I think, maybe a story from Chinese wuxia or traditions with, with some, like, Viking. Finnish stories. <laughs> not, not, Vi- not I think Vikings, Finland, but, you know, so, or... that, like, Northern European, yeah. It's, I've not seen it since I was a teenager. It's a weird film. Know. It's not a kid. It's a very talk. strange film. I might know it in the, its Chinese name, but... <laughs> oh, maybe. All right, I'm going to really swiftly open Wikipedia and see if there's a Chinese language page for it. Languages... Oh, Wikipedia yeah? no, is very good Chinese... for that. Yeah, the Chinese is um, even on the English language page. Yu uh, Zhanshu. So just literal no, just jade warrior. Yu Zhanshu. I don't think I know. Yeah. It's a weird film. It's good, but it's really quite odd. I'm going to look and see if it's on 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 the Chinese internet. I've got all these VIPs and all these websites these days. Right. Um, while you're doing that, I'll I'll throw you a question. Um, do you have a favorite martial artist in uh, Condor Heroes? Because there is an awful lot of them. Yeah, my favorite one is Cycle May, the villain of um, A Hero Born. Hmm. Um, because she um, abandoned and opens with a very long um, flashback of her youth, and so she really, I feel like quite close to her, having worked on her her memories and and to <laughs> see how she is, she's not an evil person, you know, she doesn't set out to cause harm to people or kill people it was circumstance and misfortune and a little bit of her own personality that and a lot of misunderstanding that put her on that path and and that makes her a really really rich um character and she's got really badass kung fu yeah, I, I was wondering if, if you might say one of the female characters and I also want I thought about writing a question about them, but I wasn't really sure what to say. But um just a, a thing that I think is a amazing standout for like even like my first experience of watching uh, Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon is um number one well number one that there are female warrior characters in these historical yeah. kind of epic kung fu films that's number one number two is that they can hold their they're just as strong and dangerous as the the male fighters that's number two and then what would number three be i guess that if you were looking for things to criticize some of them are you know that what what am i trying to say they maybe do also have some traditional feminine traits that a reader mm. looking for like a feminist classic maybe wouldn't find. Mm. So there's lots of things that I'm not really in a position to get my head around. Um, but do you have anything to say about the female um, 
Sharon, the Wuxia characters. Yeah, I think um, there are frustrating points about them, but um, they exist and they're quite good at fighting, as you said. And mm. and I think traditionally in sort of Chinese stories, with female characters are often quite prominent, um, mm-hmm. whether as in that um, sort of scholars and beauties love interest stories, you know, they, they do play an equal role. Or, and there is a tradition also stronger females that are either rallying against the system or fighting on behalf of the men within the patriarchy. So, um, mm. they, they, they exist. Uh, might not be in the best of situation, but they do, and they might have a much steeper slope to climb. But the, I think in, in definitely in genuine stories, they are, you know, they they're all quite, um, they they they're generally quite powerful women. Yeah. Let's not talk um, about their I love think... life though. <laughs> their, no, their love no, life that's... Is, that, that's that's entirely different <laughs> matter. Yeah, you're not gonna get any. Um, there's there's no. Um big badges there for fighting the patriarchy no. in the love stories. <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh yes, um, yeah, in my homework, I, admittedly Wikipedia homework, I yeah, mm. I, I came across a paragraph or two saying like the first instances of like female warriors in Chinese literature are from like the, the Tang Dynasty or something. And it's just uh, really interesting to compare that to like, I mean, admittedly I'm not an expert, but if I try and think of some female warrior from your ancient or very old European literature, I can only think of two examples and neither really count. One's Joan of Arc, who's not yeah. a literary character. She was a real person. Yeah. And then maybe in Britain, Boudicca, the Celtic queen, again, uh, not a yeah. literary character, a real person. And then yeah. the only one I can think of that is a literary character is the uh, um, Grendel's mum from Beowulf. Uh, not really uh, a role model. No. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But where it's like in China, you get a lot of you know from Mulan to made by made into a Disney film, so everyone now knows who mm. she is. Or 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 like the 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 Yaman Yuzhang, the 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 wives of the general youngs who are who were also in the Song Dynasty, and they're they're mm. loads more. I mean, they might be minor characters. I mean, but they exist more yeah, frequently um, I... <laughs> than. I remember hearing about the character uh, Mulan from. Um, yeah, um, I might, I might ask that question. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I don't yeah. want to provoke the Disney fans, uh, especially not since I'm on Twitter. Um, all right, question number two. Yeah, so this is about the the plot structure of a hero born. Mm. We were talking before about how it's like an epic story of a young person's personal development and whatnot. And, and it reminded me definitely of some of the like teen fantasy and sci-fi books mm. I read as a, as, as a teen, surprisingly enough. Mm. I was reading teen fiction when I was a teen. But just as well as that reminding me of stuff I'd read from uh, English language teen teen fiction, it kind of, I got the feeling that there's a lot of like archetypes here. It's like a Joseph Campbell style hero's journey and not, not in the mm. sense that I'm trying to say Jin Yong was inspired by Joseph Campbell's Hero's Mm. Journey academic work, but more the point that what Joseph Campbell was trying to do was find universal things, mythic things that go into all world Mm. human storytelling and literature. And sometimes you, 
you you wonder well actually so many stories don't fit his pattern what was he really talking about and then you'll read a properly epic story that really does hit all those different points he described in a hero's journey um so the question i want to ask is do you think condor heroes is either intentionally or just by nature of what it is like an epic mythic universal story that kind of can be read like that or do you think it's more specific i think it is pretty universal because it's 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 the journey of a young man and a young woman's passage into adulthood and that journey you know we are all humans there might be some cultural difference of what you end up doing to get to that the other end but the growth and the difficulties and the things that you have to face that you have to discover are more or less the same um you know dif- discovering honor love purpose you know who you are and what's important to you and what's not important in life or all that um th- th- those mm. are quite universal values or you know good or evil a lot of it has there's a lot of common points and i think because the the novel exists because he's writing a serialized stories to entice people to read his newspaper he's definitely going right. for the broadest appeal <laughs> yeah i guess it's important not to lose sight of that reminds yeah. me a bit um when i was doing my first year of my english degree and we were given uh i forget which jane austen book it was but mm. we were given a jane austen book and then that immediately was followed by a charles dickens book and yeah. the jane I, the, all the jane austen i've read it, my experience has been yes yeah this is um, very insightful this is incredibly insightful but i'm yeah. not actually enjoying reading it i'm reading this at yeah because you're not space. the target audience <laughs> I, I guess i'm not no yeah I've, I've or, or not quite yet yeah but dickens yeah, is maybe when i'm older serialized oh yeah and it is trying to hit anyone that could read it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was like, like, like you said, serialized writing in papers. Every chapter ends on a hook, and yeah, it, yeah, it's for everyone. And yeah, and you don't have to be, I don't know, six year old or ten year old or and a street urchin to understand what everyone's going to 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 put yourself into his shoes and get excited about it. Right. Yeah, but I guess what I was. The point I was heading for there was that you could pick up the Dickens book or indeed Condor Heroes and unless you're explicitly told, you maybe wouldn't know that its original form was serialised, which again, I guess, goes to a strength of both of them that although they were written in that format, they've transitioned into a book and it reads, you know, like a book. It's equally good. Because... What we read now, what we know these days of Condor Hero is 40 chapters, but actually when it was serialised, you know, a chapter is much shorter. There are mm. probably hundreds of, you know, three times or four times, five times as many chapters because they, they're only a strip of the, on top of the newspaper. It's not a whole full page. So, yeah, the story, right. you you don't usually see, find out where, where, where one one day's story seep into the next. You can't find the the, the, the sort of connection point. You just right. read it as a whole. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And last 
question well last formal question i've got written down about the story um as, as i've said like one of the things i was enjoying the most was like visualizing the map and the bigger struggles like the song the jinn and the mongols so out i mean this is probably probably it in fact, no, it's not an easy question. Out, out of the Southern Song, the Jin Jurchen, and the Mongols that Guo Jing's growing up with, are you rooting for any one particular team there as you're reading? Well, the story... Because you grow with Guo Jing, and his final allegiance is obviously with the Song, where his family, his bloodline came from. So mm. um, you feel torn for him because, you know... He grew up with the Mongols. He's very good friends with all the people. But when, when it comes to a point in his life, he had to he had to choose, and he knew he he quite very quickly worked out how he should choose, or there is actually no choice. <laughs> right. <laughs> so your yeah, your so. emotion, you definitely get pulled along by him. Hmm. Yeah, I I kind of found yeah that as far as those like three teams, the book basically kind of although it, with the characters you could side with an individual character or have your opinion yes. about them, these bigger kind of like factions, the book is more guiding you to read yes. one as a particular way. A thing right. that I mean, I'm maybe looking for a level of complexity that wasn't there, but I was wondering. We see the song as being particularly Chinese, and the Mongols are definitely living in a very different society. And I was curious to see how the, the, the jinn would be depicted, and they kind of just read as not so different from the song, but bad guys. I think most of their names were names in pinyin, but maybe I was yeah. looking for something that yeah, was never going to be there in the first place. Because the Jurchen language is practically, I think, lost in how it's pronounced. Mm. So I think acad- academically, all Jurchen's emperors and names are can only be transcribed in uh, pinyin. Right. Yeah, and they, mm. they. I guess in the book they're portrayed as in in between Mongol and the Song, so mm. they they're still good at battles, got yeah good cavalry and horses, but um but they're not as um not as good as the Mongols. They're not as cool as the Mongols either. No. They're kind of no. just no. jerks. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So that's all my questions about the story. Um, I'd like to ask just some kind of miscellaneous questions oh. here. So there's a thing, I it was a thing I introduced to the show, then I forgot to do for a while, but now I've like standardized it and brought it back. It's having a, a word of the day. Pardon me, a, a Chinese word of the day. Um, so can you suggest one from this episode? Um, it uh. could be related to uh, Condor Heroes in any way you fancy. I thought of quite cheesy. Um, oh, even better. Uh, yeah, so Zhonggan Yidan. So it's like your loyal liver and the uh, righteous uh, gallbladder. Because in Chinese, you know, anything to do with bravery and courage is represented um, by the gallbladder and the liver. Huh. Which is quite interesting, considering in English, uh, lily-livered is to, mm. is talking about cowards. Right. So something that is a, some strange intersection where the liver is representing the two sides of the same emotion. <laughs> yeah. That's very so strange. Courage and cow- cowardice is all, all, all hinges upon the same um, physical organ. Yeah. I could think of a couple more in the same ballpark in English. We say like 
how much he's got guts, he's gutsy, yeah. or he's not got the stomach for it. I'm weak stomach. Yes. But it's funny that it's the exact same organ. That's amazing. Yeah. But the sort of cool. the flip side of the um, meaning. But it, it's very interesting how mm. these sort of entrails play a role in terms of these feelings of bravery or loyalty or courage, which I guess mm-hmm. it sort of across culture, it's something that is very deeply hum- human and very, it's like inside of you. Your core, yeah, totally. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'll um I'll put the characters and the pinyin yeah. and the meaning for that in the show notes for anyone listening. If you guys want to teach yourself some martial Chinese, thank you for that, Gigi. Yeah. That was uh, really cool. <laughs> okay, so the next question is also a bit random, um, a, a fun one. Don't take it too seriously, but if you could be any character from uh, Condor Heroes, who would you be? I think. Um... I quite like to be like Guo Jing got the best, the most exciting um, adventure. So he he'll be a fun one to to be, and maybe actually some of the smaller characters could also be interesting, like um, the East, uh, the heretic of the East, um, apothecary mm. Huang, because he also went through a journey you know, parting from his family and making his own place um, in society and then basically turning his back on everyone. Um, There are quite a lot of... um, The the women, unfortunately, don't have as good a life. (laughs) So Yeah, so I think it's, 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 it's the men who gets all the fun. There was one female character who was, I don't know, she was the one, maybe just by not being as conspicuous as some of the other mm. ones, seemed quite interesting. There's, I've forgotten how she's named it. It's been a while since I read Hero Born. Mm. But among the seven freaks of the South, there's one uh, one lady. Oh, Jade, Jade Han, yeah. Jade, yeah. I was thinking Jade Han. I was worried that was wrong. Yeah, yeah is, do, I mean, I've only read the one book. Yeah. Do you do you feel that she is treated more of, as, an, as an equal, or do you think it's also not quite... Um. Up to She's treated in a, as an equal, but you don't really know much about this very, very little about who she is. Right, yeah. Her, her backstory um, that is quite limited in the book. Um, mm, she's kind of a fairly blank sort of, or not blank, y- but... It, it's a character that you, yeah, you, you feel in whatever you want about her. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, last, last of the random questions. Yeah. Um, I, I guess there's only so much we can say about a, a placeholder character. Um, yeah. But yeah. Last question here. Um, it's your little slot for some self promo. So, uh, where can listeners find you online? Um, where can they find your work? And are you are you working on anything just now that you'd like to point people towards? Yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really post much. I just retweets. And mm. um, for my work, you can find the first three books of Condor Heroes, uh, Legends of the Condor Heroes. So, uh, well, the first book, A Born Undone, is translated by Anna. Um, the second one, uh, no, the first one, A Hero Born, it was translated by Anna. The second one, A Born Undone, translated by me. And then the third book, uh, Snake Lies Waiting, is translated by Anna and me. They are all out 
in the UK and a good part of the world. Mm. Um, a snake lies waiting will be out in the US later this year, I think September. And um, these three books are also on audio, so you can find it on Audible and other good audiobook places. Um, read by a very good British East Asian stage actor, Daniel York Lowe. Um, the books are available practically everywhere in the world from any good bookstore. Mm. Um, yeah, I was going to say you can probably get these in in your bookshop rather than Amazon pretty easily. I got my Hero Born from an independent bookshop. Yes, you should go to your local ind- independent bookshop, and they should be available everywhere in the world now. At least mm. book one and book well, two. Yeah. Um, Although speaking of Amazon, I did see. I think I saw book four up for pre-order on Amazon. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah. So we 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 watch working on um, book four. So now is in 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 the editor's hands. Right. Exciting. Yes. Scary times. <laughs> <laughs> but before before we part ways here and head off on our respective um, heroic journeys. I wonder if, if our listeners want to check out more wuxia, either in translation or even in the original Chinese, where would you point them towards? I would actually, if you've never read or any wuxia, I would start from films. So there's a lot of classic mm. martial arts films, especially those from Hong Kong's in the sort of Shaw Brothers, Bruce Lee, um, Jin Yong adaptations in the 80s and 90s, um, or, or Jet Li's films like his Huang Fei Hong, or the more e- recent um, Donnie Yen, Ip Man. I would start from films because they're shorter than TV series to, to mm. just get... Or, or, um, and then there's obviously Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragons and all the other films that we mentioned earlier because they would give you an idea of the world, of the logic, of the fighting. Um, and if... Because, as I said before, for Chinese readers, we have quite a good visual memory, um, imagination for, for the content because of either ch- classical Chinese theatre or full films and TV. And then for books, um, there are three more titles of Jin Yong that's been officially published. Um, the Book and the Sword, translated by Graham Earnshaw. Fox Fallen of the Snowy Mountain, translated by Olivia Mock. And The Deer and the Cauldron, translated by John Minford. Um, mm. There are also um, a handful of other um, um, uh, wuxia writers that's been translated in English that are published officially. I think one of them would be Gu Long's Eleven Sun. Um, there's right. also a sizable web community of wuxia fans who do their own translation of um uh, both classics and more recent um, uh, novels popular in China. And if you punch in Wuxia in the search engine, you will find these websites. Yeah, I'm, I've got a couple of those <laughs> translators working in that field are going to be guests in this Wuxia uh, series of podcast episodes, all things going according to plan. Um, it's an alien world. Well, alien? It's a it's an unexplored uh, territory for me, Terra Incognita, yeah. uh, Web Wuxia. Yeah. But I'm really ex- really looking yeah, forward think, yeah, to they, reading they some of it. Yeah, they would know much better because I I do feel quite old when it comes to comes to web novels. <laughs> mm. I felt like I'm likewise. It's a different gen- generation. Yeah. 
I struggle to read ebooks. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm a Kindle fiend, but re- yeah, reading on a web page is a uh, I'm I'm not necessarily a fiend for that. Yeah. Um, a thing popped into my head there. Thank you, by the way, for that fantastic um, list of pointers for stuff in translation. Uh, that that'll be really useful for some of our guests, I think, and yeah. and for myself. Good. So thank you a lot for that. Um, a note, a note. Um, almost to end on just speaking of generations. So this is from my own a little anecdote from my own experience teaching in China. So the first school I was at was just a it was a um, fairly normal Chinese school. Mm-hmm. And then later I went to teach at an international school. And at the international school, walking through the hallway for like the lower grades, you'd see the boy, one of, I think it was uh, one of the new Star Wars films, uh, The Force Awakens had just come out. And you'd see the boys uh, going, nyo, nyo, ha, 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 doing like um, <laughs> lightsab- yeah, lightsaber, lightsaber battles. Noises, just like, yeah, yeah zhong, zhong, just like when I was wee. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But in that uh, school in Zhejiang, the more generic Chinese school, um, you'd see the boys shooting chi blasts, gathering their chi, and then and then I was like, what What are they doing? And then I realized, oh, yeah, it's um, it's the same thing. But um, Have you not played Street Fighter? <laughs> I have. Well, I mostly watch my sibling play it because um, uh, I suck at it. But yeah, I, the chi, yeah, the Hadouken is the, yeah. what, the, the... Yeah. The chi, the chi blast is the ancestor of the Hadouken, I guess. The blue light, but the b- blue boar fra- flame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I remember that when I was watching my my sister play um, uh, Street Fighter, noticing that the game is quite careful to like give every fighter a nationality and a flag, yeah. and it was interesting. It would be interesting to go back and look at them, but I remember like. Um, Everyone has their own styles, and one yeah. of the Chinese characters, uh, Gen, I guess he'd be called. He, you could switch him between two different styles. I think one was Mantis and one was Crane or something. What? So yeah, um, a whole. A so whole there's like Shaolin there. Kung Fu then, or something like. That. Um, I no, guess Crane, he's yeah. he's he's something like that, and then yeah. there are other like there are Hong Kong characters. Tai- is there uh, a Taiwan character? I don't know. I just don't um, remember. But some of them are like mod. Some are moderns. Some are mm. more classic. Yeah, I was pretty rubbish at it, so I don't yeah. didn't go through that many characters nor or moves. <laughs> yeah. The the one character I always played was um, also a Chinese character, Chun Li, but not because Chun-Li, yeah. she was Chinese. Yeah, just because you could mash a button and she kicked really fast. Yeah, and then she kicked. Yes, to she's easy to, <laughs> to get. Yes. To yeah. A good way to hold your own against the experts. Yes. Just have All your you legs. Have yeah, just smash the uh, console. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the ultimate victory. Transcend yes. the machine. Yeah. Um, speaking of transcending technology, we should probably bring our um, call yeah. to a close. Uh, one more question. Yeah. Uh, what are you reading just now? Um... I'm terrible because I always start books and take forever to finish them. So I'm probably on like four or five books right now. <laughs> um, some of All them right. have been I've been reading for years. Um, the first one is uh, Yao, and mostly in Chinese, um, Yao Xue Ying's uh, Li Zhicheng, which is a ten-volume novel on the farmer rebel who toppled the Ming Dynasty. But then he got oh. he got booted out by the Qing, so I'm I've been reading it for ten years now. 
Oh, I, I have a I have a good anecdote about him actually. I have to tell this now. So, my first year in China, at the end of it, my mum came to visit me, and we went traveling, and she really wanted to see Beijing. So we went to Beijing,、mm. and we went through the whole、um, Forbidden City, and then went to the park at the back、uh, of it. Jingsha,、um, uh, Jingsha, right?、Um, and the tree that because is he called Li、uh, Li Zicheng? Was that his name? It's the tree where the emperor, the Ming emperor Chongzheng. Himself. Right. So that episode from history, we 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 were walking along,、uh, we came upon the tree. I was reading the little plaque that described that event in history, which I think I had.、Um, it was ringing a bell because I'd read、uh, John Key's China History. So I was like, "Oh, this is the tree." And I was about to turn around and tell my mom, "This is the tree where so and so important figure hanged himself." But there was an old an old guy just a few paces away from us, and he looked at my mom and me and went. Ah, 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 and mimed a guy hanging himself, <laughs> so that one's burned into my memory. Oh, that's that's, that's fun. Sounds、yeah. like an interesting book, anyway. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, I'm now trying to get to the end. He hasn't quite. He's about to die, I think. I just want、right. to know how. It, I just, well, you know how it ends, but you just don't want to know how they get how they got to that point. Um, the other、totally. book that I just started reading is a Hong Kong writer's new book,、uh, Ma Ga Fai,、uh, Ma Jia Hui's new book.、Um, I don't know how do I say it in Mandarin. Yuan Yang Liu Qi Si, which apparently、right. is I don't I don't think it's called an English title. Which apparently is a、uh, Mahjong、um, configuration. Interesting. I'll leave it at that because I can't explain、right. much. <laughs> okay, I, I wouldn't demand、uh, you explain.、That's、and、fine. the third book that I'm reading right now is、um, J.G. Barlett's Miracles of Life, which is a collection、oh. of memories and essays from his life. So it starts in Shanghai, because I lived in Shanghai for ten years and just moved to Shenzhen for the last year. So、right. it's quite nice to read about Shanghai. You know, I know all the places he talked about. He cycled around, and yeah. Mm, I I really need、nice. to read that. That sounds fantastic.、Yeah. I might I might have told this anecdote on the show before, so I'll do it really quickly. But、uh, I read Empire of the Sun just before moving to Shanghai,、um, ah, and、yeah. it so happened a few months after I moved there, I ended up working at、uh, SHSID, Shanghai High School International Division, Shanghai Zhongshui Guojibu. That is that was a, originally the site of a different school, but between being the different school and the one it is now. That was the、uh, internment camp that J.G. Ballard and his parents、oh. were kept at. Oh, his parents. So not can... in Longhua.、Uh, yeah, Longhua. In... Yeah. Okay. Because he was in Longhua. I think.、Yeah. I think, as I understand it, in the book,、uh, his parents are gone, but in real life, his parents were there. Oh, I they. Think I think they were together.、Went. Yes, yes, yes. Right, but yeah. yeah, and there's a foreign teacher there who does a. Little、um, JG Ballard tour of the campus each year. Oh, really? Oh, I never. I wish I've gone on because I, I I've seen online about、um, JG fans going to find the camp and taking.、Mm. Um, I think they demolished it not very long ago, and like the old architecture that might have been the internment camp. And I think I remember Mo- people talking about most of the buildings、bricks. are gone. Yeah. Yeah,、um, but JG's house. There are house, a few that are still there. JG's house is still there. Um, not Xinhua Lu, the one next to Xinhua Lu. Forgotten what it's called now, but yeah. I'm my Shanghai street map, inner street map is good, but not that good. 
But yeah, um, I really need Wamping. to read that book. No, he's not in Wamping Lu. Oh, God, I've forgotten what all the street names as well. But anyway, he cycles very mm. fast. Right. It used, it used to take him an hour to cycle from his house to the Bund. And, right. you know, 1930s, creaky old bikes, bad roads, one hour to the Bund. Uh-huh. But I'm, I know that we were about eight kilometers, I think. And I know it would take me right. about an hour to cycle to the Bund as well, because there are just so many traffic lights. <laughs> mm. Some of my happiest memories of Shanghai were cycling, not in, not in the center uh, although mm. I, that's that can be nice, but around like so, sh- uh, Shanghai High School, that's near the first ring road. So in mm. that sort of distance from the center, you can get some really nice rides on your your mobile bike, your little digital rental bike things. Uh, some very happy memories of doing that. Yeah, I I lived in Shanghai for so long. I've got my own bike, so it's the time before before mobile bikes. We all got our own, you know. Some friends got fixies, you know. Um, I've got uh, I've got an old I had an old Fenghuang Phoenix, but that was just too much right. hard work. So I I went for a giant in the end, and I struggle on mm. mobike because they're too slow. <laughs> right, yeah, they're pretty pretty basic. Uh, now that we're talking about mobikes, it probably is time to um, <laughs> yes. to to part ways. Wrap up, yeah. Especially since any listeners who've never seen a mobike are probably thinking what. What what is this? What are they talking about? Put a picture on. <laughs> I, yeah, I should I should put a link in the the show notes. But yeah, um, it's been really good having you on. Thank you so much. You've yeah. you've um, you've certainly Thanks taught me a lot. Me. Yeah, very welcome. I think it's been a fantastic start to the uh, the wuxia wuxia season. Yeah, I look forward to listening to the rest of them. So thank you again to Gigi Chang. That was a fantastic chat and a great kickoff to our Trichofic Wuxia season. Really, really fantastic. Thank you so much, Gigi. Now let's do the plugs, the little kind of end of show self-promo stuff. So here's something that a lot of podcasts mention, but I've kind of neglected to push so far, but I'm going to push it now. And that's asking you guys listening for uh, reviews on iTunes. So if you really like the show and you have an iTunes or Apple, whatever it's called, account, please do leave an iTunes review. That's um, It's not just a way to make me feel nice. It's a really good way to boost the show's prevalence in search results on uh, iTunes. Of course, if you use another podcast provider that has a slot for leaving uh, reviews or comments, please, please leave them there too. That would be fantastic for just kind of helping the show, helping people who would like the show to find it. That's kind of the idea there. Um be fantastic if you could do that um here's something that you guys can get from me uh, i just uh, yesterday put up a bonus episode on the show's patreon uh, page it was on the author hanhan who i'm looking to do a show at uh, after the wuxia season so kind of like just my initial thoughts on learning about him i've since read his book 1988 i want to talk to the world and what i can say about him is he's a crazy fellow um loads of strange things i learned um i also put quite a lot of other uh, bonus episodes up on the patreon uh, to give you an example there's another one where i went story through story through the anthology uh chinese sci-fi anthology the reincarnated giant and I've recorded another one, which will be the next one I'm putting up, which I, where I do the same thing for Ken Liu's uh, Broken Stars, no, not Broken Stars, Invisible Planets uh, anthology. 
So what I'm trying to say is there's loads of cool extra shows up there on the Patreon and if you guys become uh, Patreon supporters from just one US dollar a month, you've got access to all of that stuff. If you'd like to support the show with your lovely, lovely money, but would rather not commit to like a monthly uh, contribution, then there is a website for that too. That's Buy Me A Coffee. So both of those sites, just put in the name of the site, patreon.com, buymeacoffee.com, and then slash trichfic, T-R-C-H-F-I-C. Yeah, so there's the financial ways you can give me money. Financial ways you can give me money. I am a master of the English language. Um, So the next thing I'd like to promote is the Podbean. So I talked about this in the uh, Trichfic news. But again, if if you're listening on SoundCloud, uh, now would be a great time to hop over and subscribe on any podcast app. And also to check out the uh, new Podbean homepage because it's really cool. So just go to trichfic.podbean.com and you can see the map and episode art. And I'm going to put as many interesting pages there as I can. And here's actually, here's an idea I had in my head that I'm going to put out there now. If you'd like to write a guest blog, if you've got anything you'd like to write about any of the stories we've covered or anything about Chinese writing and fiction, contact me and we'll get your guest blog up there on Podbean site because I can create pages. I think that would be a fun thing, but we'll, we'll see if anyone bites that little line I've thrown out right now. Um, how to get into contact with me though, that's another question. Well, two, the two best places to do it for show related things are Instagram and Twitter. So the show has a Instagram account. It's uh, at Trichfic, T-R-C-H-F-I-C. That's where we live on Instagram. On Twitter, I just use kind of like my own account um, as also the show account. So it's at Angus Likes Words. And that's also a good place to talk to me. Um, And another place where you can get in touch with myself, but also listeners of the show, is the show Discord. So there's a link for that in the link tree that I have on my Twitter and my Instagram and I, the link is also at the bottom of all the show episode descriptions. If your podcast provider doesn't read the links properly in the show descriptions, again, just go to the Podbean, all the stuff is there. So yeah, I think that is all the plugs. Now, it's traditional that I tell you the best thing you can do for the show and that is to spread the word. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone who might be interested. Tell your uh, Shufu, the Kung Fu master, who is imparting all of his, well, his knowledge, his moves, and eventually his, like, inner chi energy. When you receive that, return the favor by telling him that there's a very good podcast newly hosted on Podbean called the Translated Chinese Fiction Podcast. And then your Shufu will look at you with a look of great confusion and say, why are you telling me this? But then you say nothing. You just leave it at that. And then eventually his curiosity will lead him to listen to the show and become a Patreon subscriber. So you can see why I'm interested in making you tell him. But anyway, um, that's all starting to happen. You know, I, I just know you'll do that. So until you have done that, Zai Jian. <laughs>